We will continue studying through Isaiah 40 today. And I have the same plan this week as I had last week. That's to get through the end of Isaiah 40. Although there is uh, much in this. And uh, today I'm going to give a pretty generous introduction to this. Uh, Isaiah 40 is not a portion of Scripture that you want to just try to get through with it. You want to linger on it a little bit. This is one of those passages you want to linger on and think about because it gives us so much information about our Lord God and His plan for our salvation. Um, Last week we ended off at verse 17. Uh, We will go back and look at one or two other things in verses 12 through 17. Um, But I want to start out by looking at John chapter 17. This is kind of an introduction to try to give some importance on what we're studying now. We will be getting into some attributes of God, who God is and what all He does. John 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son also may glorify You. As You have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as You have given Him. Verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, we have in here a statement by Jesus telling us what eternal life is, that they may know God. And one of the best places to look at in Scripture to learn a lot about God is Isaiah chapter 40. Now, it's interesting in this this verse 3 here that where it says, this is eternal life. Now, in the Greek, there is a definite article in front of eternal life. And if I understand Greek correctly, that gives it a qualitative uh, force there. If I'm wrong, some of you Greek geeks tell me. But, um, so this could read, this is the eternal life, which shows us that not only is that for life everlasting that never ends to know God, but it improves so much the quality of the Christian's life if he knows God intimately. So it is very important for the Christian to know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Now, this is uh, we have two, pers- two of the three persons of the Trinity mentioned in this verse, which would be the Father, because that's who Christ is addressing, the Father, if you look at verse 1, and the Son, Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> to have eternal life and good quality life, we need to know the Father. We need to know the Son. And of course, the rest of Scripture shows you need to know the Holy Spirit too. And so that's going to be our 
goal, one of our goals for the rest of Isaiah 40, is to know God better, to know Him and His attributes. Now, I want to read a, something that um, Gordon Clark, Clark states in the Trinity. It's not in the book proper, but it's in kind of a postscript to the book. And this, I hope, will add to your incentive and my incentive too uh, to look more closely at these verses. This is at the end of the book called The Trinity that he wrote. Very good book. Probably his most famous book. And there's a chapter called The Crisis of Our Time. I guess this would have been about 1950. But The Crisis of Our Time, and he's got a section in here called In Understanding Be Men. I guess women would be okay too. By by men, he's talking about mature Christians. It is the first duty of the Christian to understand correct theory or correct doctrine. He's got both correct theory, correct doctrine, and thereby implement correct practice. This order, first theory or doctrine, then practice, is both logical and biblical. It is, for example, exhibited in Paul's epistle to the Romans, in which he spends the first 11 chapters expounding theory or doctrine, and the last five discussing practice. The contemporary teachers of Christians have not only reversed the order, they have inverted the Pauline emphasis on theory and practice. The virtually complete failure of the teachers of the professing church to instruct the faithful and correct doctrine is the cause of misconduct and cultural impotence of Christians. 20th century American Christians are children carried about by every wind of doctrine, not knowing what they believe or even if they believe anything for certain. I don't think you can say it any better than that. So, he says, you've got to learn doctrine. You've got to learn the Trinity. Because you can't, if you don't have the doctrine down right, you're not going to live right. So never be afraid to dive too deeply into just the the doctrine of the Trinity. And if if anybody needs any guidance on that, see one of the elders or one of the officers and We'll point you to some good literature on learning. So that's what we want to do in here. We want to come to know God so that we can have eternal life, both quantitatively and qualitatively. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, we learn a lot about God. Any questions, comments on that? question of the Trinity. I never kept a tally, but I would be surprised if that question was not the most asked question by the women in the jail the years I was working in the jail. They just wanted to wrap their minds around three and one. And they couldn't. They couldn't by themselves. They needed that direction. Yeah. And of course, I'm no longer there, but there are chaplains there, so... Um, I'd be interested in some of that literature, maybe to refer to the chaplains that are currently in there. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, this is sort of a plug for the library. That books out of the library. Yeah. This is a library. And there's, and there's a lot of good. There's really a lot of good stuff in there. That's, yeah. For its size, that's a that's a decent library. Yeah. Uh, good literature would be uh, something like G.I. Williamson's um, yeah. um, book on the confession of faith and the shorter catechism. Williamson? G.I. Williamson. I think I got that one. Yeah, that's in the library too. <clears throat> um, of course, Gordon Clark's The Trinity. Um, Van Til also has a lot of literature by the Trinity, and he, he and Gordon Clark don't always see eye to eye. <laughs> they both end up accusing each other of being tritheist, but they balance each other off. Um, if you're interested in the greatest theologians, uh, Burkhoff, Louis Burkhoff would certainly be profitable. Um, you have uh, Voss, Gerhardus Voss, Voss, V-O-S. And my favorite is Herman Bavink on the Trinity. How do you spell that last name? B-A-V-I-N-C-T, I believe, if anybody. Yeah. C-K. Robert Raymond is C-K. Good Yeah, it's Robert systematic. Raymond. Yeah. Good Reformed theologian, systematic theologies. It just style all of them good. I think I had Burkhoff's. Yeah. He's the standard. He's the standard work. If you're, if you're going to go to one, go to him. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But they're, some of them are pretty heavy reading. Uh, if you want to get the heaviest, get Turrentin. <laughs> I'll start off with Turrentin. <laughs> uh, his is broken down into questions and answers. And if you do good, you get through the first question in, in the first year. Well, most of the inmates have between, on an average, they have a third to fourth grade reading level. Yeah. So that was the complication was handing them something and, and say, here, read this. They wouldn't comprehend it. But if you can be the mother bird and half digest it and then spit it out to them, sometimes they got it. I think R.C. Sproul would be good. Yeah. I mean, he's solid and he tends to communicate on a more, say, down to earth level. Yeah, he has a trilogy of books that we went, actually went through on Wednesday night here. Um, one is The Glory of, well, I'm not sure what the names of them are, but R.C. Spool is good, yeah. Well, I forgot about him, but yeah. He's chosen good. by God, but he also has, uh, they published in one volume a big commentary on the Westminster Confession. It was in separate volumes. But Chosen by God is his book on election and predestination. Holiness of God or several. Does that touch on or address the Trinity? I don't think chosen by God does, but then he would cover that in the commentary on the Westminster Confession. Okay. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, dive into Isaiah 40 today again. Uh, three things that we're going to be looking at. It will be God's providence. That becomes very evident in uh, verses um, 15 to the end, or 12 through the end. Uh, we'll be looking at ontology. Ontology would be just a study of being, a study of the being of God, ontology. 
and epistemology, the study of knowledge. So we'll be learning about being, knowledge, and providence. Okay, um, let's start, let's go from verses 12 through 20. Read that. Um, and let's start over here. Twelve through twenty, right. <clears throat> Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with his span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as a dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will he liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Okay. Now, back on 12 through 15 on those verses. Remember, we covered those last week. And um, we saw that in there... uh, People are told to look at the great ocean, the great creation, and seeing that the Lord God is all sovereign over that. Um, just take a look around. It all belongs to God. God is the creator and sustainer of all these things. He is the Lord of all creation. And why it's important to know that is that God has sent you people into exile. God is certainly capable of bringing you out of exile. And then we saw in verses 13 through 14, He shows the people that He needs no counsel. Um, The knowledge of God, God knows all things. And in verses 15 through 17, He assures the people that He's even Lord of the nations. That Assyria and Babylon, who hold them in captivity, they are just less than a drop in the bucket. They're small dust on the scales. They are nothing before God, and they are counted as less than nothing and worthless, just like Egypt was. You don't need an army, says God. God will bring you back home. So we see that in these verses that God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. That means God has all power. And He has all knowledge, which is omniscience. And He has all wisdom. Look at Romans 11.33. We see that a lot of this quoted here. Paul has just spent almost 11 chapters 
talking about the works of God, about His redemption for individual people and His redemption of the world in 11. And it certainly isn't the way man would ever figure, you know, ever uh, think about this. This, this is... This kind of stuff you would never know except by special revelation. Man could never figure any of this stuff out. It was all a mystery at one time, but now it's been revealed by God. And then Paul says in 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depths of it. I hear some Christians saying, I don't need to know theology. I don't need all that deep teaching. Paul says you do. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You'll never understand these things on your own. You have to have revelation. For who has known the mind of the Lord? For who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? Uh, of course, the answer is no one. No one. God has all power exhaustively. God is power. God is knowledge. God is wisdom. He doesn't just possess these things. He, They are exhaustive in Him. God is power. God is knowledge. God is wisdom exhaustively. You can't divide God. He's all of them exhaustively. Yes? One of the things that I've learned in Prolegomena, which Dr. McGraw put into pretty good words, is that we can't know God fully, but we can know God truly, because He's condescended us so that we can know Him in a true way, even though He is so beyond our comprehension. And because He's condescended to such a level so that we may know Him, we're obligated to know Him. Okay. So He's given us right. His revelation in nature, which we see very minimally, and then He's given us His Word, which we better know about. Turn to John chapter 8. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed Him. John chapter 8. Some of y'all are still getting there. (coughs) Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him. He said, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So as Joshua says, we can know the truth. We don't have to know things by analogy. We know the truth. God has revealed the truth to us. Even though we can't know God exhaustively, we can know Him truly. We can see things the same way God sees them because He has revealed His mind to us through the Scriptures. And it's not necessarily by analogy, as some teach. Okay. Thank you, Joshua. Now, um, 
So we see that we learn about God here that God is power, God is knowledge, and God is wisdom. So that's ontology, the study of God's being. And we can know Him truly. Although not exhaustively. Okay. All right, and then in verse 18 through 20, um, God says, To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to Him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution uses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skilled workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Isn't that pathetic? That people would do that, things like that. It's pathetic, isn't it? However, these are the gods of Assyria and Babylon. That's who you're fighting against. You have Yahweh, you have the triune God who is wisdom and power and knowledge fighting against these worthless idols. Those are the gods of Babylon and Assyria. They have, we have, God says, you have, the people of his children have, the true God, the living and true God, the covenant Lord of Israel. All they have is these worthless idols that they accidentally knock over at times. That's what Assyria and Babylon depend on. Okay, anything else on those verses? Any other insights? All right, if not, we will have Owen, if you want to read for us, verses 21 through 26. Have you not known, have you not heard, has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the surface of the earth and its inhabitants like grasshoppers. He stuck it up the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judge of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall they, shall they stop to take root in the earth. For he also will blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number, he calls them all by name. Of the greatness of his might, the strength of his power, not one is missing. Okay, on this we start learning something about God's providence. It covers some ontology. Now we're in the providence. <clears throat> Who can tell us what deism is? Is that where he created everything and then he moved away and let it do its own thing? He put it all in motion, but then he yeah. removed himself from the middle and he just sits out there watching or something. something like that. Yeah, it denies providence. Yeah, he, he's, it's like he wound up the earth. He created it and he leaves. There's no redemption in deism. There's no provision for redemption. Um, who can tell me what 
Who can tell us what pantheism is? God's everywhere. God's plural. God is everywhere. That's right. God's plural are all over the place. Everything's a God. All is, everything is God, yes. He's in the tree. God is in the tree. He's part of the tree. Yeah. There's no creator-creature distinction. It's all God. Everything is God. Um, who can tell us a famous deist? Anybody know any famous deist? Thomas Paine. Thomas Jefferson. He wrote The Age of Reason. It's sort of the Bible of deism. Yep. Ben Franklin. Yep. A lot of our founding fathers were deists. They weren't atheists, but they were deists. In other words, there was no room for redemption in their thinking. Who's a few good pantheists? Uh, not good pantheists, but who are some famous pantheists? Oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> I know any famous pantheists. Oprah? Oprah, yeah. <laughs> Marcus Rillies. Who? Marcus Rillies. Rillies? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Oprah was a good Lama. I mean, just about any New Age teacher is a pantheist. Yeah. Yeah. Hegel was, if I understand him right, Spinoza. So the Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams. <laughs> yeah. Is. They're all around us. They're all around oh, us. Oh, he is. Yeah, he believes that everything that exists came into being because God blew himself up. We're basically God, God blew himself <laughs> up. We're the God corpse. Oh, that's so, the big bang. That's pretty much. Pantheon. It's a type of pantheon. Okay. Let's see that. So the uh, pantheists basically deny the creator-creature distinction. Uh, according to the Bible, everything is either the creature or the creator. God created. There's no none of the creation in God, and there's no God in creation. God created. God is not part of the creation, and the creation is not part of God. Okay. So more of an ontology there. Okay. Um, in your notes there, um, the, the prior one, Isaiah next brings up worthless idols, verses 18 through 20. And then in the next paragraph, in verses 21 through 26, Isaiah shows that God not only created all things, but He upholds all things, which would be uh, that idea destroys deism. God is intimately acquainted with His creation. He did not create the world and then abandon it, as the deists teach. He sits above the earth. He watches over it. He knows every intimate detail. He even knows how many hairs are on your head. <clears throat> A sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from his will. As an aside, it should be pointed out that the founding fathers that we know of as deists are the famous ones that the humanists want us to know about. 
the Revolutionary War was referred to by <coughs> the king's men in his court as a, that Presbyterian War. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it was a bunch of Presbyterian Scots. Okay. okay, so no deism and no pantheism. Need to be on guard against both because they're both very prevalent now. But there is a distinction between the creature and the creator. No mixing, not even in the Jesus Christ who is fully God, fully man. There is no mixture of creator and creature in him. And also there... Huh? I got a question. And then there's also no pantheism um, because everything is not God. And Okay, yeah, go ahead. It wouldn't... Uh, everything is God be monotheism, one God. Uh, monotheism is, is one God, but now it would be mono. Um, See, I was thinking pantheism is there's a God of the trees, there's a God of the there's a God for everything. Pantheism is like everything emanated from God. Right. Um, my, my, a monist is yeah. a, a pantheist. A monist would say that there's only one substance. You're right. So Everything everything would be God. Right. Uh, you can be a monist, you can be a atomist, which means there's an infinite number of different um, structures, things, and a dualist. But yeah, a pantheist would be a monist. All right. So God says, no one is like Him. He says, to lift up your eyes on high. <clears throat> Who is Lord of all creation? Who brings out their host, their starry host by number and calls them all by name? Now remember, how many stars are there? Did you say last week? Yeah, there was. there's over a hundred billion galaxies and in each galaxy there's over a hundred billion stars. Something like that. God calls them all by name. And by the strength of His power, not one is missing. This is your great God, O Israel. He can bring you back from captivity. Alright, now verses 27 through the end of the chapter. That would be you, Chase. What do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You read that better than Eric Little. <laughs> All right. In verse 27, it appears that some believe Yahweh has forgotten them. Why do you say, O oh, Israel, speak, 
say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My just claim is passed over by my God. Seems like they believe He has forgotten them. However, this is not the case. He is the everlasting God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, and and is of infinite understanding. That's not worded very well. Has infinite understanding. He is understanding. Okay, so um, he never forgets anything. He can't learn anything as we saw last week and he can't forget anything. He never changes. Okay, so, in your notes there, he gives the people strength where needed in verse 29. He gives power to the weak and those who have no might. He increases strength. He sustains his people. Verses 30 through 31. The youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Shall walk and not faint. So He refreshes and renews them as needed. And those are your blanks. Now that phrase there, where He's... Sorry. Refresh and renew. It says they shall run and not be weary. That's impossible. I tell my clients who are trying to run their first marathon, I say, I can't tell you what it's like when you get past the 20th mile. Bud might can because he loves to run. (laughs) I mean, there's no way to describe how weary you are. You are bone weary, drop dead tired. And... Don't be surprised if you feel that way at mile 24. Like, what am I doing here? But God promises they shall run and not be weary. So it's what we're talking about here is He will supernaturally help them. You can't run and not be weary unless you wait on the Lord. Wait for that supernatural help. And that's exactly what Israel needs to do here. Wait on the supernatural help. So they have encouragement, much encouragement from Isaiah chapter 40. Okay. Somewhere else, Scripture says keep your eyes on the prize as an encouragement. Yeah. Eternal life, communion with God will get you through those last few miles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. So we cert- there's certainly no deism taught here. <clears throat> In these, God doesn't wind up in the universe and then leave it. He renews people's strength. This, but people's strength, He refreshes them. We can do whatever we need to do spiritually. All right. Any other comments on Isaiah forty? Do you, do you think that the people who came up with ideas like theism and pantheism and all that stuff are have ever truly read the Word, or are they just blind? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I say this in all sincerity. I don't understand sometimes how people read God's Word and don't see things or don't... I mean, it's so clearly... It's both. There. Some have read, some haven't. I know Thomas Jefferson read it. Yeah, he must yeah. have because he cut out all the stuff he didn't like. Yeah. Maybe it was on the Bible. Probably most of them haven't, but... 
We know of at least one that did, that was intimately acquainted with the scriptures. I think about election. Uh, That, in particular, seems to be a real issue with so many people. Oh, no, he came that none should perish. Yeah. And they just can't grasp election, and yet it's all through the word. I mean, you can hardly... It's unbelief. If somebody denies predestination and election, it's unbelief. It's not It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's totally moral. It's well, unbelief. And, and isn't it God who opens up our spiritual understanding yep. to be able to, to comprehend what we are reading yes. in his word? Yes, so maybe absolutely. they're not one of the elect. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they don't get it. <clears throat> they're still guilty. Even if they're not one of the elect, they're still guilty. Yeah. Well, I was that today can't believe in the God of Scripture because of all the pain and suffering that's in the world. And they're just making their own God. They're deciding they can know who God is supposed to be better than He does. The only way to make sense out of pain and suffering is to read the Bible. Right. They don't have any answer for that. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, what's your answer? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Or just, just see the end result. You know, you go through a hard situation. I think about Evie Hill. She's going through a horrible situation. Her parents can't imagine anything worse. But if you really believe Romans 8, 28, God's going to even take that horrible situation and work it together for good. So that's the ultimate um, truth that's seen. Something good came of it because God was in it. It's the only way to comfort anybody. Mm -hmm. It's the Bible, what the Bible says. You can't just go to somebody that's suffering like Evie. And say, oh, it's, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. What kind of comfort is that? <laughs> Anything else? Joshua, will you close us in prayer, please? <clears throat> yes. Heavenly Father, thank you.